So, and also just like the, the call for folks to get down to the imaginary border uh, for support. So hopefully we'll have some more information and updates along the way. Um, again, there's, I know it's, it's a lot. And uh, thanks so much, Jesse, for calling in. And we're going to go back to, we're going to have a bit of a music break. I'm going to sort through a few things to um, think about what to add on next. And uh, so I'm continuing playing some music. Again, this is JKLM. You can find it at jubakalamka.bandcamp.com. This is Invalidations Volume 2, the album. Lots of great tracks on this album. And, excuse me, we'll be back in a bit. Someone is beautiful. Someone is beautiful. Someone is beautiful. Someone is someone. I heard her voice of beauty. It was my choice to keep thinking. What I found was easy, black, blind, and beautiful. And what came out of her mouth was all so soothing. That she is her name. She took me on a jazzy trip back to the day of as a journalist, I needed to create media. Let her talk, capture the story, see people lyrically, interview, getting to know her deeply. Three bees buzzing around my brain. Black, blind, and beautiful. Washing away ugliness like rain. Fancy got me bugged out. Beauty. 
J.K.L.M. from Invalidations Volume 2. We have another phone call. Hello, Mutiny Radio. Hello? Hi. Uh, yeah, hello. Um, Mask, who are you calling for? Yeah, Diamond Dave will be in with the Common Thread Collective after 3 p.m., but you're welcome to share some stuff with us here if you'd like. Okay. Um, what time is it there now? Uh, right oh, now it's I'm... 12.49. Oh, crap. I, I made a time zone mistake. Well, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's three hours later I'm supposed to call. 
All right. Thanks. Sure thing. I'll call later. Okay. Uh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, we do have phone lines are open. 415-550-0511. Folks are, you know, welcome to call. Okay. So again, uh, this is from Invalidations Volume 2 from JKLM, which you can find at jubakalamka.bandcamp.com. Okay. Uh, I had a few things together, and then... Uh, I, oh, yeah, I didn't even finish talking about this week because it's been a pretty <laughs> disturbing week, also with the elections and whatnot. And, I, I, you know, I, I think a lot of folks view elections as... There, there's certain measures that make things a little bit easier. There was, a, unfortunately, there was a measure in California that did not pass Prop 10. In San Francisco, it overwhelmingly passed, which is great. However, for the rest of California, it did not. And that would have repealed Costa Hawkins and it would have expanded rent control, which we all know is good for people. However, landlords, a lot of wealthy folks, put a lot of money into deceiving people. So there was a lot of literature out there that was lying to people. And again, it, it resulted in people voting against their best interests, which is extremely frustrating and discouraging. Prop C, thankfully, did pass here, not by a wide margin, although it should have. However, it did pass, so grateful for that. And um, hopefully a lot of folks will you know, push through. And that, for folks who are not um, in the Bay Area or not familiar with Prop C, it, was going to ta- it is going to tax businesses that make more than $50 million a year, and all those funds will go directly to providing mental health care and housing for unhoused folks. That's pretty fucking awesome, and uh, we'll send lots of love and solidarity to the folks who have spent a lot of time and energy making that happen. And so, so that was good. So those were a couple of local measures. Uh, the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco, we got a lot of more progressive folks um, on board, which is great. There were some people who were nervous about certain uh certain things happening that's not that's pretty vague isn't it that is vague uh however more progressive folks and board of supervisors which will hopefully counteract the mayor who is was not in favor of prop c or so yeah so that's good and of course i'm also i recognize politicians can only do so much in many cases they do harm and uh at the same time it's easier to organize when there are folks in positions of power who aren't trying to actively kill us Hopefully, folks can agree with that. There, you know, it's it's a very. I, as I've mentioned before on the show, I have a lot of respect and put a lot of attention towards folks who organize, people who are involved with direct actions, people who do mutual aid, uh, people who create the world we, we want to live in, um, as opposed to necessarily working within the system, which we know the system isn't for the people, and that's kind of how we've gotten here. It's been years and years of voting for the lesser of two evils. It's been years of Democrats who are supposedly, some folks think, on our side, yet they continue to vote to raise the military budgets, and they vote to continue mass incarceration, and they don't go after big banks, and they don't decide to do any kind of student loan forgiveness, for the most part. And uh, these are folks who even Pelosi was like, oh, well, bipartisanship. Oh, well, we'll work, we'll work with these fascists. She didn't use the word fascist, but that's kind of what these folks are. So if you're, if you're say that you're part of the resistance, that you're not going to challenge the people in positions of power and who are <sighs> giving money to ICE instead of health care, which was literally happening, or taking money away from FEMA and giving it again to ICE and just really fucking horrible just going against the people if you're working with them instead of against them then you're not of any you're not of any help so uh a lot of mixed feelings and i think a lot of folks we've been raised to think oh we you know 
this thing will solve everything. And I'm definitely a proponent. And there are many things that people need to do in order to create a just society. And voting is not the only thing. So I want to encourage the folks who are, I don't know if the, the folks, those folks, I don't know the individuals who listen to this show. I, I do feel that if as much attention was put on voting as there was engaging in direct action, and I get that we all have different abilities. I'm talking about for the folks who are able-bodied, who have the time and energy, who can show up, who can show up. If folks were as adamant about showing up as they were about voting, we would live in a much different society. So I want to encourage folks, again, to call in people. And I know there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of fear. And I myself am wrapped up in part of that, too, where a lot of folks I know are having difficult times. I'm, I have a difficult time as well. Various things that are happening. It's difficult to witness everything. There's a lot of grief. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of frustration, especially recognizing how many of the systems that are in place and have been in place since before any of us were born. So it's not like this is something new that suddenly we have to realize how to, to combat. These are things that folks have been fighting against for centuries. And now perhaps it's the mask is off, even though some people still refuse to believe it. But the mask is off for the most part. And this is what the, this is what the U.S. has kind of been based on. And thankfully, some of these folks are dying out. The old white racist men still looking to have that kind of control and they're losing it. And so they're by, they're trying to pass these fucking draconian laws. They're using violence against people. This is their, their last attempt to hold on to what they think they have. And unfortunately, a lot of us have to live through it. But my point is not to discourage or to talk down to folks. The point is to call in people. And I get that there's a lot of folks who are already doing so much. It's perhaps for the folks who are only voting and not doing anything else. Or who people who have only have faith in our politicians and have faith in the system, which has time and time again gone against the people. When there are millions of people who are incarcerated, and I keep coming back to that. when you can have your college loans paid for if you join the military and not other ways. When there continue to be policies that are drafted against people. I do believe in some way we can maybe come out of it, but more and more people need to show up in a lot of ways. So I want to call people in. I want to encourage people to, to do just that. Which brings me to, oh, well, there's a downer. So in my email, I, I don't necessarily always check email during the show. This came up and I felt it was important to share. The TSA wants to force you to take a mugshot just to fly. <laughs> So this is also where, I mean, just the, the ease into fascism I've been talking about. Many people have been talking about for a long time, and it's become so normalized that people just don't, unless people fight against it, it's just going to become normalized. And I mean, we already take our shoes off at the airport. We already allow them to do these fucking obscene searches and how many people are profiled. Oh, I mean, it goes against everything about just being a human. It just instills fear in people. 
So the TSA, this is from Demand Progress, by the way. I started unsubscribing because I had a lot of emails from a lot of different organizations. And sometimes I'm like, how did you even get my email in the first place? Which also happened with the voting thing. I don't know. I don't know a lot of other folks got texts. I got texts from folks wanting me to vote against props I'd already voted for. And I had to have a few words with people. It was really disgusting. Okay. Anyway, the TSA wants to make their airport security lines even more invasive. Recently, they've announced plans to team up with Customs and Border Patrol to require domestic travelers to submit to mugshots for a facial recognition program in order to fly. What could go wrong? A lot. Tell the TSA to immediately shut down this facial recognition program. For one, the facial recognition technology is still alarmingly bad at identifying women and people of color. That programming bias could result in discriminating against anyone who isn't a white male from flying, which already happens a lot. Worse, the TSA is tight-lipped on what happens to facial scan data after it's collected, and that's a major privacy concern. As a federal agency, will the TSA share that data with the FBI, NSA, DEA, ICE, or local law enforcement? We don't know. TSA security lines already make us submit to body scans, and you can also opt out. I want to encourage folks to opt out if you're able to. I personally prefer to opt out. Those machines give me the heebie-jeebies. Ugh. Um, you do get like a body search. It's, I mean, it's equally invasive and a different kind of invasive, I should, I guess. So opt out for, I guess, a lesser of two evils. Do you want to get, you know, have, feel gross by a machine or gross by a human being? I don't know. I, it, okay. We can talk about that later. Anyway, so they've already, okay. TSA lines already make us submit to body scans, remove our shoes, and limit what kinds of products we can pack and on carry-on bags. That's another thing, too. I just love when they make us get rid of water as if there's, like, not, you know, a lack of water and or droughts that are happening. That's totally awesome. Way to go. Thanks for protecting us from drinking water. Cool. And according to research studies, those security precautions don't even work that well at protecting us. Now they want to go to the... Want to go the extra and invasive personal mile by forcing us to submit to mugshots to a fascist recognition program just to be able to fly. Tell the TSA, end this facial recognition program with Customs Border Patrol immediately. Thanks for taking action. So this is pretty much a, uh, this is like a super low, uh, Low level, uh, doesn't require a lot of time or energy. You sign the petition. It's on demand progress. Um, I should probably share it so folks have access to it as well. I'm going to share this on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Roman Reimer. And oh, I'm already following them. That's nice. And there's also a red alert for net neutrality. I mean, it's, you know, a lot of disturbing things are happening. Um, I don't quite see it popping up very easily on their Twitter. I think there's just because there's a lot of things that are happening and a lot of a lot of disturbing things to be aware of. So it's not at the top of their list on Twitter. However, if you go to demand progress, I'm sure you can find it and sign it. Also, we're back on Facebook. We're kind of off Facebook for a little bit. The weekly review webpage possibly because there's other things called the weekly review originally this show is weekly review with roman and molly because we had a co-host and then i just shortened it to weekly review now it's the weekly review on mutiny radio which you can find on facebook share news articles there follow us there i'm gonna try to share this article on there right now so that way take action uh i don't know 
what good can come of it. I don't want to be pessimistic, though. So maybe this petition will all it'll take to stop the TSA. Let's be, let's just be so optimistic that, um, and again, I don't quite see it on here just yet. Uh, they have a lot of posts about uh, having a free internet for net neutrality, which is great. This, I guess this is really new. The the TSA story is really new, so it hasn't made it quite yet to their other pages. However, if you go to Demand Progress, you can find it on there, and I will do my best to share it as soon as uh, I am able to. I've already signed it. Maybe... Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Hopefully you find it. Uh, I mean, yeah. I'll do my best to share. Okay, that's what happens when there's a lot of stuff going on. And something else. Uh, I guess that's my rant. Oh, yeah, so the election... Oh, yeah, total voter suppression in Georgia. Now they're finding machines that like were like hidden that they didn't even there. So there are folks, not only folks being turned away in Florida, I think for like their signatures, not matching in Vermont. There are a lot of trans folks who were turned away from voting. And that's the whole thing too, where it's like, you know, it's great to get folks to vote. And at the same time, who's actually counting the votes. And the thing with, with Georgia now, thankfully Brian Kemp has stepped down as overseeing the election, which is really fucked up considering he's running it. It makes no sense at all that someone who is, it's, it's imagine someone playing a, a sport, a, a sport, and they also happen to be the referee. Imagine that. How fair is that going to be? And we think back to Florida and the 2000 election, got dumb, dumb. I'm sorry, I call a lot of politicians dumb, dumbs. I'm being very, I'm trying to be very cordial here. Dumb, dumb, W. And uh, his brother was governor for, for young folks out there. <laughs> uh, his, his brother was governor of the state, and there was a massive re recount, but it wasn't quite great anyway long story short they, they stole the election in florida and like a lot of folks voted for one person and then like, the votes got changed to the other it was pretty reprehensible and meanwhile his brother was a governor so how can things really be fair and just and again it goes back to who's in position of power who's counting the votes and if it, it it's if the actual votes aren't being counted then how just can anything be and that's happened. There have been so many stolen elections. I've kind of lost track. Even Kennedy, JFK, he, they did some election tampering in Illinois, too. So it's kind of like uh, it's all corrupt, blah, blah, blah. Also, it's still happening uh, in in Georgia and in, in Florida. And again, I mentioned in Vermont with trans folks and Texas. There were some folks as well. So this is just a... And then in New York, in terms of not having early voting, and it just there's really long lines, so folks were unable to stay for various reasons. If you're just able not not able to stand, or if you can't get off work for two or three hours, there they make voting as hard as possible for folks. So, oh yeah, much my, my okay. So apparently the Democrats they won the House, but then they lost some seats in the Senate. But then there are some folks who are now doing recounts. Uh, so there we go. Um, Disappointing news. Last I heard, um, some progressive mayors did not win in the East Bay, uh, where lots of folks were pulling for Javanka Beckles in Berkeley and Cat Brooks in Oakland. And neoliberals decided to back the folks they're running against. So fuck neoliberals. And that's me not calling people in. It's more people calling people out. That's really disturbing. Libby Schaff hasn't helped people. She's made more folks hope, like, hasn't done anything to help unhoused folks in Oakland. And the person in Berkeley is Buffy Wicks, who ran on the Clinton campaign. So put those, put that information together. Okay, 
uh, that's my my summary. Uh, direct action is needed on all fronts, all the time. Okay. So. I do like to also provide some historical context because we don't get taught history in a lot of these classes that we take if we're able to get into higher education and it's not accessible because it's so expensive a lot of the time and even then the truth isn't always taught oh I'm also glad fucking Scott Walker ex-governor of Wisconsin is gone fuck you fucking asshole fucking asshole Scott Walker go fuck yourself good thing though apparently he passed this he passed this bill years ago that meant if you were second place um, and you lost by I think more than one percent then you couldn't demand a recount and he lost by 1.2 percent so he couldn't demand a recount he's just super he's a union busting uh university of wisconsin they had a history of science department the whole there are a lot of attacks on education in wisconsin and on unions all that he was responsible for and led he's backed by the Koch brothers really awful dude thankfully he was not re-elected governor fuck you fuck you fuck you just needed to get that out and also chris kobach in texas was not elected and so that's good and uh, the other person who was elected decided to reinstate protections for queer folks and that's good so again it's going to take more than laws to keep people safe because we do know that there's increase in hate crime attacks and at the same time anything we can get to help folks stay safe is great also yes on three in massachusetts passed which was um continuing to protect trans folks it passed two to one so that's great the folks who didn't who voted no on that go fuck yourself all right anyway oh my point one of my many points i'm just talking a lot here there's a lot of information and i get that's why a lot of us are fucking exhausted that and the, the air quality which is apparently is bad it's in red so please do again we're n95 masks or higher if you're able to i know there are a lot of folks who've gone around in previous previous times of air better quality to buy masks and to distribute them so i'll keep my eyes out for folks who are doing that and perhaps spread the word and you would think that oh maybe <laughs> the government would do that for us but they don't it's really just direct action time and time again so it's really important to learn history especially things that are not taught and also to find out what worked what didn't work and also just to see how much more angry at police following orders i can get and it seems to like there's always another day another day i need to read another story another book in a another another chapter in a history book and then oh the police did that oh great so from the sf chronicle which is a pretty right-wing paper but all right they at least provide this positive well it's not really a positive but they provide this historical fact for a lot of folks who might not be aware how san francisco's bloody strikes changed academia and the nation 50 years ago this is written by uh bill van niekerken and it came out on november 7th and you can find it uh sfchronicle.com i would also advise not reading too many of their other stories since they're biased i do appreciate historical context and perhaps once you know something happens if it happens 50 years ago then folks seem to recognize how important it is but maybe not at the time even the new york times they're like who is this hitler guy let's hear what he has to say and yet they do it again and again for fascists rolling my eyes okay anyway recently rediscovered photos show the violence on the san francisco state college campus and the savagery of police and they have a photo here fucking idiot okay excuse me 
Okay, 50 years ago, students at what was then San Francisco State College fought back and changed academia forever. A student-led strike on the campus began November 6, 1968, and lasted 134 days. By the time an agreement was finally reached, students and police had violently clashed many times, and about 500 protesters had been arrested. A recent trip to the Chronicle's archive turned up dozens of photos, many not published in decades, if ever, that show the sacrifices the protesters made and the savagery of police trying to quell the uprising. Several student administration conflicts had started during the 1967 school year, but the suspension of Black Panther George Murray, a graduate student and instructor who urged students to bring guns to campus, escalated the protests into a full-blown effort to close the college. On the Monday after Murray's suspension, roving bands of students representing several organizations, such as the Black Student Union and the Third World Liberation Front, interrupted classrooms, exhorting their fo- fellow students to leave in support of the strike. By the, time, by the time 35 police officers arrived from the nearby Terraval station, the campus was in chaos. Over several days, faculty support grew, as did the violence between police and strikers. A midday campus skirmish on November 13, 1968, saw eight youths arrested and several injured, prompting San Francisco State President Robert Smith, not of the cure, to suspend classes. Assembly Speaker Jesse... Unruh and Governor Fuckface Ronald Reagan, excuse me, demanded the college be reopened. The governor called Smith's actions to act of capitulation. Reagan said, professors are paid to teach, not lead, or encourage violent forays. Yet, later on, Reagan would go on to support uh, military coups, so and just put people out on the street. I'm not going to spend my energy fucking yelling at the ghost of Ronald Reagan, but maybe uh, I really fucking want to. Continuing on. Professors are paid to teach, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, you can't teach students if students aren't able to defend themselves. Okay, excuse me. I'm going to go back to the article. It's really hard for me to speak the words of Ronald Reagan right now. Okay, blah, blah, blah. So Reagan said, if they refuse to honor the trust our citizens have placed in them, they should look for work elsewhere. Smith resigned on November 26th, and S.I. Hayakawa was installed as president of the college. Hayakawa announced he would open the college on December 2nd under a state of emergency. 300 police officers were on hand to enforce tough new rules. Ten people were arrested in standoffs to find the first day as Hayakawa attempted to reopen the college. A day later, nine were injured and 31 arrested. The December 4th Chronicle headline called it the worst day yet. Hayakawa, for his part, stood strong in his convictions. I want to make it clear to everyone that I will break this reign of terror. That's funny because the reign of terror is kind of coming from the police, but okay. How rough did it get? Chronicle photographer Vince Maggiora was clubbed by police while photographing the action. A second blow was stopped when he identified himself as a member of the press. So it's nice to know that there was a time when the press weren't attacked by police. Good to know that that existed at a time. As mediation broke down and violence continued, Hayakawa announced that Christmas break would begin a week early, giving the situation three weeks to cool down. The college attempted to reopen January 6, 1969. The new year brought a teacher strike in support of the students' demands. Reagan, 
responding to the teacher's, teacher's action, declared, I think it has to be kept open. If you have to surround with whatever force is necessary, those who want to get an education, those who want to teach should be protected at the point of a bayonet if necessary. On November, f excuse me, on March 4th, after weeks of picketing, protesting, and negotiating, most teachers returned to work under terms of a settlement approved by the union and college authorities. Two weeks later, an official administration statement read, Dr. Hayakawa will announce specific plans for establishing a school of ethnic studies to include a black studies department. He will also announce plans for expanding minority programs and for extending educational opportunities to a broader spectrum of the San Francisco community. Soon after, black student union leaders uh, Benny Stewart and Jerry Vernado climbed on cafeteria chairs at midday, cupped their hands, and told the 1,000 students gathered around, the Central Committee has decided to accept the agreement. The strike is over. And they have a photo here of officers pointing revolvers at demonstrators outside the administration building on December 5th, 1968. Ah. Uh, okay. Oh, so they have a few more... Um, links on the in the article if you want to find it. Uh, a clash in history. They have Vietnam War protesters took a stand, shutting down the Oakland Induction Center, a governmental hub where draftees were processed before being sent to the armed services. The response from authorities was swift and at times savage. They have that from October 1967. They also have a free speech movement. Activists reflect on their accomplishments in the 1960s. Question. What is the event you remember most? One respondent's answer, sitting in a police car for 32 hours from noon on October 1st, 1964 until 8 p.m. on October 2nd. Wow. So the Chronicle Vault is part of the, the Chronicle's twice-weekly newsletter highlighting more than 150 years of San Francisco stories. So you can find out more information again. And also just be wary of their other articles. But for the most, they, the Chronicle, I want to be clear, voted to no on, on Prop C, which would have, of course have wealthy business businesses donate money to help on house folks. So I'm glad that this is at least one story that's telling the truth as it is. All right. I think it's time to give my, my voice a break. It's been uh, the air here. Again, the air quality is pretty rough. Please find masks if you're able. <laughs> it's, it's the world that we're living in. More music from Invalidations Volume 2. And I'm, I've been playing songs throughout the album in, in order. Uh, the last song we heard was uh, Place Your Love Upon My Pain. The next one is We Wear the Mask. How how fitting. Okay, so again, check out uh, jubakalamka.bandcamp.com and please buy this album. jobs have their dangers, but few demand a greater measure of courage than that of the miner. In spite of every safeguard, the perils that lurk in the pit are not yet completely overcome. 
And now and again there is news of stark tragedy. But science has come magnificently to the rescue of the rescuer. As these whole time members of an Ilkeston life-saving squad will demonstrate. Feel better. I don't know how much longer I can hold Feel this. better. Feel better. Don't you dare. My brother is the meanest handicap that God has ever created. I wonder how you think. How do you express individual concepts? Not in words, Maybe you think symbolically. What does your mind call something Yeah. 
issue right now don't know why it stopped playing uh <laughs> oh okay we're gonna refresh the page and play some more anyway thanks so much for listening to the weekly review um, yeah again invalidations volume two jklm um while we're here while i'm here i'm gonna play a clip so something that was really cool was that so unfortunately even though prop 10 did not pass in california uh folks still decided to protest really fucking cool and so the um a lot of the stickers and signs for in favor of prop 10 because the rent is too damn high perhaps folks saw these around town and folks in santa monica uh had decided to um yeah show up in favor of it and again the article has some more information this is from abc news i know okay uh so apparently they say the reason the propositions failed is because corporate interests dropped tens of millions of dollars to defeat it but they said the fight <coughs> for rent control isn't over and oh it happened at black lobby of blackstone which is a private equity real estate firm um several protesters were arrested Advocates said the firm gave $7 million towards the defeat of Prop 10. You know, $7 million could also provide housing for people. And that's what's so fucking disgusting is that people who put the money to defeat <laughs> bills that would actually help people. It's so fucking gross. Anyway, I'm going to play a clip here um, from ABC.com, ABC7, uh, and we'll share that with you. Housing activists in handcuffs, stung by last night's 23-point defeat of Prop 10, which would have expanded rent control in California, dozens taking over the Santa Monica lobby of Blackstone, a real estate private equity firm that gave millions to see Prop 10 fail. We are Among those taken into custody My mom just kinda got arrested. was a homeless mother of six. We've been living in a hotel for more than a year now, and um, right now we're kind of tired of this, so that's why we're here. We are here to say that we deserve to be able to pay our rent. 
13 people were arrested and released, and the group says while they may have been defeated, they aren't defeated. We want to let everybody know that we have just begun to fight. That it was a disappointment yesterday, but we have in the process built a movement. We're not here to fight just to fight. We're just here fighting for our basically our rights, and we just want our lives back normal how it was. So where does the effort go from here? Organizers say they won't have to wait till 2020 in the next election to get a proposition put on it. Rather, they say the state legislature and governor-elect Gavin Newsom can do exactly what Prop 10 would have done, and these people say they're going to organize their efforts to get them to do just that in 2019. All right, so sending lots of love and solidarity to the folks out there protesting. Oh, also, police, wow, arresting a, a homeless mother of six. That's, wow, you're really really serving and protecting. Great. Okay, so did want to share that. Folks out there showing up. Okay, cool. So I'm going to go back and play some more music while I find the next thing to play on the show. It's 127. Coming up next at 2 p.m. is Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective. Tonight, there's comedy at the station, and there's a lot of shows here at Mutiny Radio. There's Labor and Love is a show here. There's a lot of other shows that folks can check out. Um, on Wednesday evenings, there's an AA meeting here. It's not broadcast live on the radio, but you can come in and have a space here to talk about things. Okay, cool. Also, if you're interested in having a show here of your own, you get two hours a week. It's uncensored. You can say whatever you want. You uh, pay uh, for monthly dues. You get the training, and you get to use the equipment here and do a show. Pretty cool. Also, the space is also available for occasional rentals. So if you want to do like a one-time show here, that's also a possibility. Please check out mutinyradio.fm. We also have the archives there, a list of all the shows. There are some shows that are no longer on the air, Heterotopia. I don't know if that's still going on. A lot of, it's a but really great show. A lot of great shows have come through here. So please do check out previous shows, other shows. Yeah, that's great. Do it. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking a lot. Wow. Okay. Um, also, if you want to support the show, uh, listen, tell a friend, share it. If you are able to, uh, there's so many things. I don't even want to like, there's so many other things to financially support right now. So I'd say if you have the funds, um, by all means, I've posted on the weekly review webpage, which is at facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. I've linked to um, Jesse's PayPal. So please, if you have some funds, send it over to Jesse to help out with some folks in the caravan. Um, we have a Patreon here for the weekly review, patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Uh, at this point, I'd rather have folks donate directly to folks doing the work, uh, on the ground. If you're able to, if you have like a buck a month though, to, to share with the show, that's super helpful. Big thanks to the folks who already do. Um, it helps pay for the dues here. I really greatly appreciate it. I feel it's important to have the word, just put the word out of what's actually happening and to be able to provide if, if only once a week, if only for two hours perspective of what's happening that we don't necessarily hear from corporate media and fucking liberals. I swear to I swear. Oh my gosh. I am so fu they were so folks were protesting outside Tucker Carlson's house. Tucker Carlson's this fucking white supremacist ass from Fox News who has encouraged violence among many people. And so folks were protesting outside his house. And certain liberals were like, oh, don't protest outside. It's, that's too far. Don't protest outside his house. Meanwhile, uh, we, just let, we just let fascists continue to uh, sp spread lies and harm people, harm marginalized communities. That's somehow uh, that just going you know, to let that pass. And the folks who have, meanwhile, Dr. Ford is also still receiving, she's had to, she testified against now unfortunate fucking asshole, which is another reason to not have faith in the justice system that there's a fucking, that fucking judge Kavanaugh has any fucking say in anything. She 
testified against him. She was sexually assaulted by him. And she has received death threats numerous times. She's had to move four times. She can't return to her job at Palo Alto University. And yet folks seem to be more concerned about this fucking white ass supremacist, Tucker Carlson. It's just beyond me that people will defend fascists more than they'll defend the folks who are being attacked by them. But that's, that's liberals for you. I don't have much faith in them. Okay. There we go. That being said, we should probably wrap up the show and I got 20 minutes. I got more music to play. I've gone over a lot of, a lot of things here. Um, big thanks again to Jesse for calling in and we have posted Jesse's PayPal on the weekly review page. So if you can donate a few bucks, um, please do so also spread the word. Uh, it's also just a matter of information, sharing information with folks who might not know what's, what's happening. There's also just so much to learn. So really wanting to share information. That's also a really important thing that folks can do. A few other articles I want folks, to, I'm not going to be able to chance to read, but I want folks to check out. There's an op-ed, um, truthout.org, to end the Trump nightmare. We need a radical political agenda. So I would encourage folks to read that. And that's uh, written by Kianga Imada Taylor. Uh, so folks can check that out. It came out on November 7th. So I really appreciate that perspective. There are folks out there who are really calling it like they see it, and I appreciate that. Also, Rebecca Solnit also has a, an article out on uh, The Guardian recently. Um, I appreciate that analysis as well. So wanting to push forward the analysis of folks who really have a concrete understanding of what's happening. Okay, I'm going to go play some music. Maybe I'll find one more thing. Maybe I'll find a happy story to tell. They're out there, I'm sure. Um, yeah, so we'll be back in a bit. Stay tuned.
disabled man in a pickle viewed as can't provide young vegan with wrinkles middle-aged with rage midlife crisis not even on the page cause there were no good old days just so much only go outside in the rain So raindrops will mask my tears I see a lot of older disabled men out here Can't even look at each other Is anyone else I'm in fear 50 and single So what we need Bear made that heart And tell her Let's be a couple Music from Invalidations, Volume 2 by JKLM. Just saw a really disturbing headline. Thought I'd share it with everyone. <laughs> uh, I take I take no pleasure in this at all. This is this is the world we live in. U.S. Navy refused to help sinking migrant boat that capsized, killing dozens. Survivors say, and this is from Newsweek.com. So Newsweek, pretty mainstream news source. This is by David Brennan. It came out today, uh, this morning. Oh, goodness gracious. Oh. 
they have a video, they have video footage here, they have helicopter footage. U.S. Navy faces allegations that one of its ships, the USNS Trenton, ignored distress calls from a sinking migrant uh, dinghy that capsized in the Mediterranean Sea in June, killing 76 people. Survivors of the disaster claim that the Trenton refused to come to their assistance until the packed migrant ship had already sunk, suggesting lives that could have been saved had the Navy acted sooner. Prosecutors on the Italian island of Sicily instigated the allegations made in a video published by La Repubblica in October, the Guardian reported. The U.S. Navy ship rescued 42 people when the dinghy sank, but survivors said the 76 deaths could have been averted. We saw that ship. It was not far away, one person said. We saw the American flag. If they had rescued us when we were all still on board, 76 people would not have died. The small boat was traveling from Libya with 117 migrants on board, many from sub-Saharan Africa. It had been at sea for days when it began taking on water in the early hours of June 12th. The sea was rough, and our boat began to fill with water, one survivor said, and we suddenly saw a ship. It was an American ship. Those aboard tried to get the Trenton... The Trenton's attention for around an hour, the survivor said, but they were unsuccessful. We saw the American flag, and we tried to reach them, but as we approached, they seemed to avoid us and changed direction, claimed one. The Navy denied that the Trenton was close to the migrant boat before it sank. Rescued migrants said the cruiser returned to the scene around half an hour after the dinghy capsized. We clearly saw the same American ship that had ignored us approaching, one man said. When they asked the sailors what they, why they had not intervened before the dinghy capsized, the survivors claimed the Trenton's crew said it was not their job. We will try to talk with the survivors of the shipwreck to understand what happened that morning, said Prosecutor Fabio Dana. He stressed that a formal investigation had not yet been launched. Commander Kyle Raines, a spokesman for the U.S. 6th Fleet, said that was responsible for Europe, said the service was aware of the reports that an Italian official is looking into USNS Trenton's rescue of people in distress at sea. Raines said that the vessel's watch official first saw the dinghy when it had already capsized and migrants were floating in the ocean. But a recording made by a Republica reporter indicated that the Trenton had been reticent to help at-risk migrants in a different incident two days before the fatal capsizing. Fabio Butera captured a conversation between the cruiser and Greek merchant ship Leone Hermes in which the U.S. vessel was made aware of a distressed migrant raft. An American voice replied, I have other tasking which I am following. We are unable to assist in this matter. The migrants were eventually rescued by the Leone Hermes. Wow. So this is where America is donating its, they're giving its funding to, to not help people. All right. Well, that's, oh, goodness. Oh, fuck. All right, and again, that's from Newsweek. Came out today. All right. And I also I want to recommend there's a lot of great sources out there for folks who share history and a lot of what's, I think, really important to understand. And one is workingclasshistory.com. They have a podcast. They have lots of different articles. And this is something that came out today, the Kenya Mau Mau Rebellion from 1952 to 1956. And they have a little bit of a video here, and I will uh, read the the subtitles here 
um, as this is happening. In 1952, a rebellion broke out against the British rule in Kenya. I'm just pausing it so I can uh, read it in time. Which became known as the Mau Mau Uprising. Over the next four years, the British would murder thousands of civilians. throw three to four hundred thousand or more into concentration camps. And displace over a million others into uh, army supervised villages, which were essentially prison camps. While only 32 whites were killed, British forces also dropped over. Oops. All right, it's moving a little bit fast here. Pardon me, I'm going to rewind a bit. While only 32 whites were killed, British forces also dropped over 6 million bombs on the country, carried out a mass campaign of torture, rape, castration and mutilation of tens of thousands of men, women, children, and even babies to suppress the movement. Though the uprising was largely suppressed in 1956, Kenya achieved independence in 1963. Wow. I didn't know any of that. There's a lot that they don't teach us at all. So again, uh, if you go to workingclasshistory.com, you can find the video for that as well as a lot of other, lots of other information. Just all the fucking war committed by empire and the quest for empire, how fucking disgusting it is and how it continues to happen. Uh, I did want to uh, go back to mention a uh, previous episode I played also from uh, Working Class History. There was an episode about GI resistance in Vietnam, which I see, think is super crucial and just really important. I had no idea about a lot of it until recently. There's a film called Sir No Sir that details that a lot. Just folks refusing to take orders and in some cases killing their commanders. And I played part of the part one of that episode on, I think, last week's show. And I also wanted to recognize that there's a part two of that episode, which I listened to. And it was really interesting. They talked about the role of women in the anti-war movement and how a lot of this misogyny and backlash towards women's rights was in part due to women speaking out against the war and just really um, speaking out about that. So I thought that was really an interesting connection I never made before. There's just so much. And I would love to put like a, it's just... I think so difficult because there's so much harm that continues to happen and violence that continues to happen and it's important to learn about the past and what's happened in the past and so much has been covered up and not talked about and we want to and it's important to understand that so we can go understand that going forward and at the same time that every day there's still just so much violence happening how does one how does one even witness everything while grieving for the past and preparing for the future and showing up for folks. I don't fucking know. I come here and I talk for two hours and I'm in no way. I mean, I'm more informed in some ways and I still have more questions than answers. I mean, I do have some answers. I believe in direct action and I believe in people protecting themselves. 
And at the same time, I understand the exhaustion. And how do we get people out of jail while there are war criminals walking free? Uh, things feel really fucking backwards. And then on top of that, we got the environmental destruction, which I don't, I don't talk about perhaps as much as I could on this show. And uh, there's just, it's, and the air quality. I mean, I'm indoors right now and I can definitely tell the air quality is pretty rough. I'm tempted to put on a mask and I don't know if I might sound muffled. See, I, I sound muffled by the microphone and my glasses fog up. Oof. Well, I think it's time to wrap up the show. We've covered a lot. A big thank you again to Jesse for calling in. And I'm going to bring back up some info to share with folks. Thanks to all the folks protesting and organizing in direct action. All the folks put your bodies on the line in various ways. I'm super grateful. Also, big thanks to Juba Kalamka and Leroy Moore for creating such incredible music. Again, you can find Invalidations Volume 2, and I will play more on next week's show. Uh, you can find it at jubakalamka.bandcamp.com. That's J-U-B-A-K-A-L-A. MKA.bandcamp.com and Validations Volume 2. Lots of other great music on that site as well. Please support artists. Um, yes. Okay. So, yes. So there's that. Okay. Uh, getting all my thoughts together here. Um, also, um, brief plug for an upcoming event. Let me uh bring that up right now here at the okay there's a free qtpoc screening of the death and life of Marth, marcia p johnson yeah, marcia p johnson at the oakland lg yeah, okay. can i speak right now I'm, I'm a little bit tired of speaking oakland lgbtq community 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 center which is sunday this sunday to see today's the ninth so that'll be the 11th so november 11th from 2 p.m to 4 p.m and there's an invite on facebook it's a public invite it's hosted by spectrum queer media and the oakland lgbtq community center it's an awesome film i recommend folks check it out again november 11th sunday 2 p.m to 4 p.m at the oakland lgbtq community center check it out um also i'm going to um Let's see. All right, the PayPal. So please do, if you're able to get down to to um, help folks down at the this imaginary fucking border here, please do so. Also follow Jesse on Twitter at Slender Butter, which is on Twitter, and you can also PayPal, um, which is Feathered Pebble. That's F E A T H E R. F excuse me. F E A T H E R E D. P-E-B-B-L-E, which is on PayPal, paypal.me forward slash feathered pebble. We've also put this on the weekly review webpage as well. Please do contribute to help folks who are in the caravan. Um, spread the word, have conversations with people. Uh, think about other ways we can help. Um, and also just directly. Okay. Uh, I'm tired of talking. Going to end up with some music. Come up next is Women's Magazine with Global Val. Have a have a better week than last week, I hope. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so much for listening. Well, let me just see the neck and feel these little glands of yours. They're quite large too, aren't they? Yes. And just open your mouth and let's just have a look at those teeth. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, you come and spend a few days with us, and we'll get all that fixed up for you. All right? 
good fellow. You can go in there and see Mummy now. Go see Bye bye.
look at me here, this here, this. I have learned about Hayward Sports. Play on your PD, just get that. I'm the black cripple. You be like this, pop, 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 pop. I'm the elementary. I'm in a bazaar in the black community. Up in here, the wall. Classified just on one time to stand. Ha! I'm the black football. Gave my bike to US Army. Got shot by the LAPD. But you can't get rid of me. Main scenes get too angry. My own people. Don't even notice me. Look at me, look at me. But she can't deal with the situation. Educated and motivated. Now people are intimidated. An incarcerated black people. Locked down, locked out. Walking on death row. The state has lost my bio. SSIDINGA. In my pocket is what? Is Uncle Sam's dirty hands? my jokes and they'll even say nice things dude before they tell you how to get improvements no way what is this dang nabbit thing called it's joke workshop joke workshop yep every monday 6 to 8 p.m on the mutant radius so you're saying i could tell my jokes every monday from 6 to 8 that's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Morning. 
to the Labor Day Show on Labor and Love Radio. Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? Which side are you on, boys? Which side are you on? They say in Harlan County there are no neutrals there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you
Black-eyed peas. It's a 
time to get wasted and scope the whole place for girls with cute faces. Cause I see some fly mama, so pack your pajamas, but don't bring the drama. But you could bring your melody. I'll plug in my mic and sing my harmony. For how many times we gonna hit it? How many times we gonna split it? How many times she gonna get it? Or else you are gonna, when I come sober, you're gonna have to order. Cause I'm the alligator champ, driving a train, driving a train. Or you could call your friend and I'll switch my lane. And get buddy buddy with your friend Mary Jane. She really blows my brain. She really blows my brain. Good morning, mutineers. <clears throat> this is the Labor and Love Show coming to you from Mutiny Radio. And this is our special Labor Day show. As Black Eyed Peas just told us, it's a holiday. Celebrate. It's a holiday. Black Eyed Peas. Okay, so we've got a show planned, good show planned for you today. We're going to play parts of Fred Glass's history of the California labor movement, Golden Lands, Working Hands. What happened today on labor history? 1991, 3,005 Hundred buses rolled into Washington, D.C. To do what? We've got guest commentators, Francesca, Francesca Ramsey, and Francesca Fiorentini, talking about can we survive capitalism? Why is voter ID, why are voter ID ID laws inherently racist? What have unions done for us anyway? Huh? Do we know? Well, we're going to find out today. We've also got a section by Jack London, where Jack London from a novel describes a work day. <clears throat> a work week, a work month, washing and pressing uh, white shirts at the Bohemian Grove. Then we've got our labor beat. Twenty thousand workers are on strike at AT and T. An Iranian journalist and labor activist subject to 10 years, sentenced to 10 years and 148 lashes. The problem with Congress is pretty obvious. 
Commentary from Barbara Ehrenreich regarding low-page workers. What trickle down? Huh? Worker pays up 12%. How much does CEO pay up? And a woman that we all revere and love, Dolores Huerta, still at it, getting arrested. The NLRB rules in favor of fired workers. What? What's going on? <laughs> Talk a little about Jay-Z. Anyway, let, let's... First, we started out with, uh, like I said, Black Eyed Peas. Labor Day, it's a holiday, and I want to look up those lyrics, see what they have to say about it. Before that, we had the classic labor song by Pete Seeger, Which Side Are You On?, written by the redoubtable Florence Reese, as her living room was being, her house was being torn apart by company scabs, company security people, looking for her husband. Lawrence Reese, and the one before that was by Cher Bono. Yes, that Cher, talking about working girl, working girl, working in a man's world. Something else I want to talk about today is something that we don't often talk about um, A lot of political and uh, economic commentary now is based solely on value, on money, on is it good or not good for workers monetarily. We're going to take a look about that alienation. This is uh, a concept that uh, Karl Marx wrote about, but what is it? How does living under capitalism alienate us one from the other? One commentator says it makes us all into homeless people. Makes us all feel like we're homeless. Okay. We got labor cards. We've got... uh, Let's start out with a little labor history. <clears throat> August 31st, Why We March. On this day in labor history, the year was 1991. 3,500 buses rolled into Washington, D.C. They were loaded with protesters there to participate in Solidarity Day. The AFL-CIO organized the event to coincide with the Labor Day weekend. They issued a statement, Why We March, outlining labor's demands. The purpose of the day was to bring attention to the concerns of the nation's working people, especially over health care. Other reasons for the march 
March included a call for more public works programs. Another major demand was the end to permanent replacement of striking workers by scabs. Bernie Dinkin, secretary-treasurer of the Amalgamated Clothing and Textile Workers Union in Philadelphia, explained, One of the main purposes for us going down is to let our friends know, our friends in the Democratic Party who are sitting on their laurels, that if they do not support anti-scab legislation, we will vote against them, no matter what they've done in the past. The most important aim of the event was to show worker strength and solidarity. A similar showing of solidarity had taken place in the nation's capital 10 years before. After President Reagan fired striking air traffic controllers, a September 1981 rally had drawn more than a quarter of a million people. The 1991 action brought out similar numbers. Despite the 95-degree weather, tens of thousands converged on the nation's capital. They came from across the nation and 30 countries. 100 buses and a specially chartered train made the trip from Philadelphia. Noticeable among the crowd were members of the United Steelworkers Union with their gold and blue shirts. 180 different labor, religious, and civil rights groups stood up on that day for the rights of working people. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1996. That was the day the workers at the Lusty Lady Strip Club in San Francisco made their final push to make their case for the right to join a union. They made history by winning the union vote 57 to 15. SEIU Local 790 led the historic campaign. What started the union drive was the windows at the private booths where the ladies performed. The windows had one-way glass. That meant patrons could look in, but performers could not see out. They worried that the men could videotape them or take photographs without their permission. When management refused to change the windows, the women started talking union. Soon, other workplace issues arose as the women furthered their union discussion. One woman recalled, We started to discuss other problems at work, like being forced to come in when you were sick. She went on, Our first thought was to organize a petition, but we were really concerned about individual dancers being scapegoated and fired because that happened on a regular basis. Another participant in the union drew on her personal background as a reason for getting involved. She noted, I had been raised to support union efforts and the workers' cause. I hadn't ever worked at a place where there was any sort of struggle to be a part of. The women ran a successful campaign to unionize. Despite winning the vote, management dragged its feet in negotiating their first contract. The women went on strike and management locked them out. Few men dared to cross the picket line to enter the club. And within a few days, management capitulated and returned to the bargaining table where the women signed their first contract. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1921. 
That was the day that one of the most pitched battles in U.S. labor history, the Battle of Blair Mountain, began in West Virginia. Coal fueled the engines of industry, keeping the trains moving and the steel mills humming. Labor organizing in the coal fields faced violent repression. The conflict turned bloody at Matawan. Friend of labor, local lawman Sid Hadfield, had won a gun battle against armed members of the notorious Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency. Then, other Baldwin Feltz agents brought to West Virginia by the mine owners gunned down Hatfield in cold blood. The miners' anger boiled over. 600 miners gathered under the United Mine Workers of America District 17 banner. The armed miners were determined to march into the state's southern coal fields. Their aim was to promote the union effort and sweep away the gunmen hired by the mining companies. As they marched, more and more miners joined them. As many as 10,000 miners converged on Blair Mountain. The high ground stood between the unionized northern part of the state and the less organized southern mines. At Blair Mountain, they met Logan County Sheriff Don Chafin, who had amassed an army of 3,000 armed men to repel the miners. Chafin's men had dug trenches, blocked roads, and marshaled machine guns to stop the Union men. In the battle that ensued, one million rounds were fired. The mine owners hired private planes to drop shrapnel bombs on the miners. The United States Army finally arrived. The miners, many of them World War I veterans, surrendered. Although the owners had won, what occurred at Blair Mountain drew national attention to the unsafe working conditions and the brutality of the coal barons in the coal fields. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. Labor history there in two minutes, and it seems like uh, the end of August is a, as the rest of the whole calendar is a labor history time. Uh, we had a varied uh, calendar there of uh, labor history exhibits from strippers at the Lusty Lady to pitched battles at Blair Mountain to the 1991 demo that drew a quarter of a million people to Washington, D.C. Black-eyed peas. I wanted to... Let's see. Black-eyed peas. I, I wanted to um, check out the band, Black-eyed peas and talk a little about them, maybe look at the lyrics. Okay, Black Eyed Peas is an American musical group, which we already know. Um, originally an alternative hip-hop group, they sub subsequently changed their music sound to pop and dance pop music. Although the group was founded in L.A. in 1995, it was not until the release of their third album, Ella Funk, in 2003, that they achieved high record sales. Since that time, the group has sold an estimated 75 million records, making them one of the world's best-selling groups of all time. Black Eyed Peas. And let's see if we can get a look at uh, lyrics. 
Um, the Battle of Blair Mountain, one million rounds of ammunition. were shot in that battle. Uh, the closest thing in the 20th century that um, an armed pitched battle. Now those, those miners were outgunned by the uh, federal government. The government had brought in troops They were, they were um, advised by Mother Jones not to fight against the federal troops. And like the report said, it, it did bring a, um, attention to the plight of miners. And out of that, in 1931, came Florence Reese and Which Side Are You On? Constant struggle in the coal mines. Even to this day... Uh, as coal miners whose jobs are disappearing as we give up on coal. Concerned with their futures, what's going to happen to them? What happens to a 55-year-old coal miner whose job is over? I mean, how's he going to get a job? Where's he going to get a job? And that's all he's known all his life. Mr. Trump made a big show about saving coal but it's just not in the cards. It's dirty. It pollutes. It kills those who mine it. And even though miners, you know, try to cling to that as something they can depend on, it's because they're not sure of what's coming next. Black Eyed Peas, Labor Day. When I step in the room, I bring the heat like the month of June. Crank the vibe, you make the bass go boom. While out some wild baboon, we go bananas to the tune. When partying in Hollywood, VIP don't understand this TOD. We party forever, we get down together. We don't stop and we don't quit. Let's get it going, cause you know we're gonna celebrate. It's a holiday. I don't work today or the next three days, so let's celebrate. It's a holiday. I don't work today. Party till the morning and wake up late. We do it to the daybreak. Dance to my rhyme. We don't stop. Okay, Black Eyed Peas celebrating Labor Day with their song, It's a Holiday. What, by the way, besides, besides Labor Day, the Labor Day holiday, what have unions done for us? Thank a union. Let's figure it out. Weekends, paid vacation, FMLA, family medical leave, paid sick leave, 
child labor laws, social security, minimum wage, eight-hour day, overtime pay, health and safety, OSHA, health care, dental, vision, collective bargaining, breaks, wrongful termination laws, age discrimination laws, raises, sexual harassment laws, American Disabilities Act, holiday pay, military leave, equal pay act, civil rights, workers comp, thank a union. Now there are always those people we saw last week how uh, organizing efforts in uh, Dayton, Ohio, movie that we're going to talk about a little later called American Factory. Here are the union. Here are the workers. Workers United Against Workers Uniting. Ten reasons we're against unions. I prefer having no power. I love bosses. Unions just want to line their own pockets. Unlike bosses who have only our interests at heart. Well, uh, other than weekends, lunch breaks, overtime pay, parental leave, uh, pension plans, higher wages, and sick leave, what good have unions ever done for us? There's a woman saying, I deserve less pay than men. And here's a guy with a hook instead of a hand. I wouldn't want the company wasting money making my job safer. Speaking objectively, all unions are evil. I want the right to work, along with the right to be arbitrarily fired, okay? Who cares if unions reduce the pay gap between non-white and white workers? It's wrong that unions spend money influencing Congress. Only businesses should get to do that. One day, I'll get rich and I'll be the boss. Once that happens, I don't want some union getting in my way. I'm also going to be boss. Who wants more power at work? These are your voices, your anti-union voices, and that's what they amount to. What have unions done for us? All those things. So let's talk a little bit about the Amazon jungle. And again, this is, uh, we're going to get into this with, uh, with um, Francesca Fiorentini. Can we afford, can we survive unions? Yes. Can we survive capitalism? (laughs) Maybe not. Here we go, Francesca Fiorentini. 
Francesca Fiorentini, and in this episode, we're looking at the failures of profit-driven climate change solutions and why the cooking of our planet is becoming a recipe for socialism. Once again, we've broken global temperature records with July being the hottest month recorded since the invention of recording temperatures, which if you're a right winger, sounds like very biased framing. The libs never want to talk about the Hadean age when the earth was molten lava. Typical. It's so hot that Greenland is losing ice that wasn't supposed to melt until 2070. The Arctic is on fire, and I'm pretending I belong at random pool parties. Oh, who, who am I friends with? Oh, Derek. Or Michael. Matt. You're telling me there's no Matt here? So now seems like as good a time as every other moment prior till now to talk about climate change. The planet has already warmed by one degree Celsius since the time we started burning all these fossil fuels. And we're on track to warm by four degrees, possibly as soon as 2060. According to the most recent UN study, even two degrees of warming would mean millions more refugees, double the loss of food harvest, 10 centimeters of sea level rise, and an obliteration of all coral reefs. Which means we've got 12 years to have a shot at keeping the temperature to a still bad but manageably terrifying one and a half degrees celsius of warming so yeah banning plastic straws ain't gonna cut it even though it's fun to watch so-called liberal paper straws trigger our president into doing this his campaign started selling trump themed uh plastic straws <laughs> so you could buy a pack of 10 for 15 dollars 15 dollars for 10 straws that's a dollar fifty per straw. If that's how much Trump thinks straws cost, how much is his dealer charging him for Adderall? Yeah, that'll be uh, seven hundred thousand dollars. Part of the reason we're at such a breaking point is thanks to years of shallow solutions. Solutions often devised by the same corporate interests that got us into this mess in the first place. One of those solutions is carbon cap and trade, which tries to get polluters to pollute less by limiting the amount of carbon any corporation can emit, but also by allowing them to purchase carbon limits from other companies who haven't used theirs up. Cap and trade has already been implemented in countries around the world and in a number of U.S. states, but many say that it doesn't actually stop emissions. It just spreads them around and creates a speculative market for carbon. Like, imagine if you could buy and sell Weight Watchers points to keep eating pizza. Someone would be making money, but no one's losing weight. Plus, we'd see the rise of a frightening thin people mafia who control the whole racket. Just listen to one researcher who says cap and trade pushes us in the opposite direction of where we need to be going. We need to overcome our addiction to fossil fuels and the problem with cap and trade is, it, is that it stands in the way of doing that in, in many ways. It's, it's, it's a way of providing pollution rights to some of the worst polluters so that they can delay the kind of structural change that's necessary. He's right. That's not how you fight an addiction. If you want to get your brother off heroin, you don't split up his stash between your mom and dad like, let's all I'll just do a little bit of heroin to keep Brad from doing a lot of bit of heroin. At this point, cap and trade isn't even a relevant solution anymore because it's too slow to be viable. California, the second largest carbon polluter in the nation, but first in my heart, reduced its emissions by almost 9% in three years, which is not bad. But do the math. It's not nearly enough if we've got only 12 years to get to zero. Silicon Valley is still going to be underwater, and then we'll have to deal with a whole bunch of flotation device startups, and that just seems exciting. Exhausting. 
So cap and trade won't get us there. What about innovation? We'll just ask the science nerds to come up with something. I mean, other than the ones telling us to stop burning fossil fuels. Innovation has been the aim of private companies also looking to get rich off the climate crisis. Floating ideas like geoengineering, which includes one plan to spray reflective aerosols into the stratosphere to block the sun. Yeah. Aerosol. If only our climate change denying president knew that this whole time the answer has been hairspray. Turns out though that that scheme like many others has too many unforeseen side effects to be feasible. Things like stopping rain and totally vindicating chemtrail conspiracists. Even if wacky inventions or cap and trade worked, they're still too slow. Meanwhile, the U.S. continues to subsidize the fossil fuel industry to the tune of $649 billion a year. So not only are they making the planet uninhabitable, they're getting a goddamn discount. These faux solutions have come and gone, all while climate change has been getting worse, which means now we need to do far more in way less time. The longer we wait, the more that the response challenges our economic system because we need to cut so much and so deeply. What does she mean that the response will challenge our economic system? Well, that's because our economic system is currently based on using up all of Earth's natural resources with no regard for the actual Earth, all to turn a profit and create economic growth, or GDP. You remember GDP from our video on the economy, which you should totally watch. And while you're at it, subscribe. GDP is that phantom number that many agree is useless, but is actually incredibly harmful when it comes to climate change. Since when was GDP a sensible measure of human welfare? And yet everything that governments want to do is to try to boost GDP. Now, people like the OECD or the World Bank who say, oh, we're not asking for a lot of growth, just 3% a year. That means doubling in 24 years. Yeah, we're bursting through all the environmental boundaries and screwing the planet already. You want to double it? We have to overthrow this system, which is eating the planet with perpetual growth. I love how blown this host's mind is. Rarely do you see the precise moment that someone gets woke. You mean it's not about plastic straws? Slowing down economic growth has actually been the only thing that has drastically stopped greenhouse gas emissions. The only thing in the last 40 years that has measurably reduced global greenhouse gas emissions is reductions in economic growth when the Eastern Bloc collapsed.